0: Thank mm-hmm. you. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 180. Jason Lingren is with me and back by popular demand is Giancarlo. You may remember him from past episodes when we covered his eyes wide shut experience in uh, Italy. Anyhow, I want to make a quick correction or two. Uh, Rose just pinged me and told me I needed to make corrections on things I've said on recent shows. So I'm just simply going to point out these episodes and what they contain, because apparently I referenced the numbers wrong. Episode 53 is no nukes. Episode 54 is no aliens. Episode 55 is no dinosaurs. So there's all that, and welcome, Mr. Jason Lindgren.
1: And a fine good morning to you.
0: So it's been a heck of a week, man. We just came to understand that apparently the algorithms for search got changed on Friday the 13th, and traffic has fallen for webmasters all over the world. Uh, We've been caught in the net. Uh, The search returns for Crow777 are drastically dropping er everywhere. And as I pointed out recently, um, things have gotten so bad that my channel is allowed to keep 47 subs a month. On an average day, before all this nonsense, I would pick up 100 or 200 subs. Those were average days. Now, on an average day, my positive gain is in negative numbers, like negative 70, and then my negative gain drops it even further. Uh, Just a day or two ago, I lost 170 subs on a single day. Go figure.
1: Because only one corporation has all of the power when it comes to search results and all things internet.
0: Well, even on Social Blade, they've got these little bubbles up where they they use sneaky language to try to normalize this, like we're abbreviating the public number of subs. What the hell does that mean? Um, It's all a bit much. It's all a bit much to be in the age of information and come to find out that it's really the age of controlled information and that these are not going to be... I don't even know how to say it, normal times, that everything is going to get skewed, the pressure is on, and I don't think it's going to get any better as we get into fall. But anyhow, what do we have here for the intro?
1: So, of course, we have Shoot the Moon NYC on October 20th. We've got John Brisson speaking, Wayne McCroy speaking, Mark Devlin speaking, a showing of Shoot the Moon, and then you and I will be doing a Q&A. That can be found at eventbrite.com to get your tickets, Please come see us. Second, I will be speaking at the Flat Earth International 2019 conference. That is on November 15th. And my speech is on the social engineering of our worldview, space and space travel.
0: All right. We should also mention that I'm working out the technical details Um, for all recurring subscribers of Crow Triple Seven Radio. We are aiming to give away uh, free access to shoot the moon. It's a full length, two hour film with every interesting thing I ever shot and my point of view to get on the record the way that I saw it, having been there. So the kind of myth and legend that's crept up around lunar wave and all these things doesn't doesn't become the narrative that people remember Uh, also for recurring subscribers of pro triple seven shortly we will also have links so that if you want to go get shirts or something with the web address so that you know it gets out in the world uncensored all those will be at cost with zero markup so that will be coming soon anything else jason
1: i think we're good to go
0: all right, um, we're going to have Giancarlo back in here, and um, part of what we're going to be covering, which is almost certainly going to have to push to hour two, is blood types. Now, you can remember the RH factor episode we did on the rhesus factor, the so-called RH negative or positive attributes put on blood. We're going to be addressing O negative in hour two, and if you remember back to that episode, an interesting thing about the actual cell of an O negative blood type is it doesn't—there's a little sac— around most blood type cells, the O-negative does not have that. And I've made implications for a long time about what that probably means in the real world. And we're actually going to have first hand accounts that are beginning to back up uh, how special the O-negative blood type is. But anyhow, welcome, Giancarlo.
2: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Buongiorno a
0: tutti. <laughs> there it is. Um, I think we're gonna gonna kick off. Uh, we've been having a lot of discussions offline about just how. The English language has been so lowered, and with popular culture and rap music getting people to say words incorrectly, um, and the English language is really becoming degraded. But I don't think many people understand that compared to what I'll just call old-world languages, Italian being one of them, um, there is so much specificity and information in a single sentence that gets lost the moment it's put into English. I mean, what would you add? I would add that um, you're correct on all points. And my personal take on this, and I worked
2: in, in languages for probably 15 years and looking at it from outside now and being able to speak six languages, one of them being a dead language and going back to English, which is one of my native tongues. I'm rather rare because I was, I had one foot in both worlds when I grew up. Actually, I spoke English as my second language when I, when I moved here, but I spoke every Italian speaks standard Italian, plus their local language. We can touch on that later. And from what I know now, from the eyes that I have to see with, it really appears that English is constructed. It has nothing to do... If they show you the old English, the middle English, There's, there really are very few similarities to the two. And um, speaking about all the things that, that, that you speak about on your transmissions, it really seems that it's been engineered in such a way as we've spoken before to strip out all gender um, there are many other things I'd like to touch on to show people just how poor of a communication vehicle it actually is.
0: Well, I can actually add something this based on the myth series that we just did. And if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sure Rose will correct me if I get this wrong, the myth series starts on episode 172, and it goes up to 176 or 7. I think it's 176. But in that, we opened with the Ennead, which is held up as the pinnacle of Western literature, but here's here's the thing, Giancarlo. Did you know the claim is that in the original rend- rendering of the Aeneid, there are sixty four thousand unique words used. I wasn't aware of the exact
2: number, but I, I don't doubt it. Latin is such a rich language; it's able to communicate things very precisely with very few words, and I have no I have no doubt of it at all. Just looking at the name Virgil as People may know V-I-R-V-I-R is a man, but mostly it's a hero in Latin. So I think everything is tied together.
0: So then, then expound. Um, what we what we found in the research, and I'm not sure we're 100% correct, because while I can handle some written Spanish and Italian, by no means do I speak them fluently. Um, I'm basically stuck taking the Latin roots of words apart. But in, in the research we did, we realized that it appeared originally Virgil's name was spelled V-E-R, and then later down mm-hmm. the road somewhere it turned into V-I-R. Can you comment on that? I can't specifically
2: comment on that, but I can comment on the mystery and the wordplay around Virgil and the quotes attributed to him. If you even go look, uh, he, he's he, his final resting place is in Naples, ironically, the, the city where I come from. And if you read his inscription on his tombstone, one can see it and translate it as, oh, I was born in Monteva, I died in the Salento, and now I, I rest in Naples. But if you look at it uh, and understand the Latin-based languages, you can read it as, mantua created me what does that mean is he real is he not real is it a myth is it a legend is it a con whatever it is but it created him and then the salento held him and now finally naples keeps him so it's all shrouded in like double entendres and mystery of which i don't have the answers to but i can i can maybe leave some breadcrumbs to help people go and look at it further well that's not what it is on the surface reading
0: that's an interesting speculation. I'm assuming when you say uh, Mantua made me, we're talking about a geographical region. Is that correct? Yes. Mantua
2: is about mm, 45, 50 miles south of Milan in um, in present-day Lombardy on the Po River. And that is where it said he was born. So it would have been in Gallia Cisalpina, which means Gaul, this side of the Alps at that time. And he made it from from there which had very, very little Latin influence. It was basically, it, it was Gauls this side of the Alps, is what it had been known as. Um, if you listen to Lombard today, like the Lombard dialect it sounds like somebody speaking angry French to you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he finds himself down in the Salento. He found himself in the heel of Italy, like what is modern-day Puglia, Bari, um, Lootranto, Lecce, those areas down there. And then all of a sudden, he made himself to Naples, which Naples really was never under the control of, of Rome, it was allied. The towns outside of Naples maybe had the senatorial SPQ. Uh, the town of Nola had had that distinction, but Naples itself uh, was Greek. They spoke Greek on the streets there until not very long ago, and there are remnants of Greek. You say uh, "procrastinate" comes from Greek, and in the Latin-based languages, yesterday, like in Spanish, is ayer. In Italian, it's ieri. But if you go to Naples, they'll say "cra" for yesterday. And they have this s where you have a sh 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 which comes right from Greek. So just the way that he was born somewhere with very little influence of the of the Roman Empire, how he spent most of his time in somewhere that was outside of the influence of the Roman Empire, and he was buried in one of the most important cities in in, in Magna Grecia in Greater Greece is all suspect. He never spent he, you know he, he didn't he wasn't ever in Rome in Latium, and in and in and in the the, the big latin cities that were colonizing you know all of Europe. He, he, his time was spent in a gaelic part of of northern Italy in the Salento which you could still find people who live in Puglia in the Salento these days who still speak ancient greek as their mother tongue as well as albanian. And then he was buried in Naples capital of greater of, of Magna Grecia. Naples, I can't stress this enough, was the most important city state in all of greater Greece. You know, the Odyssey. That's where the siren was that drew Homer was there. Partenope is is what it is. The beauty of it. Venere, Venus, and Partenope were two gods that conflicted with each other for, for beauty. So all of these things our, our suspect around him, and even giving him via, like Virgil, meaning hero, it just, it, it, it doesn't all make sense, if you look at the bigger picture.
0: Well, here's, with my limited grasp of Latin, which basically comes down to understanding words and being applied to English so that I can break down prefixes, roots, and suffixes, if we take the original name he was given, V-E-R, instead of V-I-R, that Virgil mm-hmm. with the V-E-R, that relates directly to the sun think of the vernal or spring equinox right think think right. of the Bible in uh, I believe it's the book of John where they say verily verily um, and, and initiated people will understand that in the book of John when they're saying verily verily they're telling you this is occurring at the spring at the spring equinox and so in the case of Virgil I couldn't help but notice the original naming is directly relatable to a positive attribute of something that definitely will happen like the sun will come up every day where it's supposed to be. And by the way, if we take V-E-R, we can break that all the way back down to the idea of yes. But you mentioned another thing that we should probably define for people. You mentioned uh, so many people have seen the old movies where the Roman soldiers are carrying their flags with SPQ. Um, Can you elaborate? Can you tell us what the SPQ is? I can. And I will also, just to tie in what you were saying, but verily,
2: verily, do you know what the monumental cemetery in Rome is called, where all of the illustrious, citizens of italy are buried it's called the verano that is where they are buried okay it all comes together and to expound on sp was the senate and the people and the city so they would come together and if you were important to rome an ally but you fought for rome and you absorbed the roman culture. You got, and you were an important place. Maybe you minted your own coins. You had an important commerce-related, how can we say, function. Then you were awarded an SPQ, and then whatever your town was, the first letter of it was the, was was going to be. So SPQR was the Senate, the people, the, the city of Rome. Uh, the one the one outside of Naples that I know of, which was important, was an Etruscan city called Hyria, which then became Novla, and then became Nola. And that was SPQN. And the funny thing about that is it's literally 10 miles away from Naples, but where Naples just was an allied city with Rome and maintained their culture. And from the history we've been handed, which is all suspect. You know, we're told that the that the Latins had a affinity for Greek culture. So they let it flourish wherever it was. And they said, Hey, wait, Naples is a capital of this great Greek thought that we're using and we are the we are inheriting. So we're gonna let them be. But the towns or the countryside around it were all allied with Rome through the wars with Carthage and Hannibal crossing the Alps, and all of these things, which I don't really like to discuss because I really believe it's all been it's all been made up. A lot of it is just constructed history. doesn't really make sense if you look at it. So we need to take all of this with a grain of salt,
0: right. If you go back and look at Fomenko's work, people will have a good idea exactly. of what we're talking about, where exactly. there is a timeline that has been rigorously studied to show the fallacies in the acceptable history. But before I hand it over to Jason here, let's just get this clear. What would be the modern equivalent of SPQ? I mean, I know that you're telling me it's the Senate, the people, and the city, which would imply the capital, Rome. But I mean, would USA be the modern version of that? I think the really important cities would be that. Like, like you know, if, if you had importance to the empire,
2: so the United States is the, is the new empire, and what, where does everything come out of this new empire? New York City would definitely be an SPQN, right? I see. Los Angeles that creates all that nonsense with, the, uh, with, with, with their Hollywood stick, right? Their magic wand. That would be SPQL. That's what it would be. <laughs> if, you, if you contribute greatly to furthering whatever the dialogue of the day is, you get
0: that distinction. From my right. understanding, what it really is. All right. Well, moving away from the city of Los Angeles, Jason, you want to jump in on this?
1: Is there any indication that the Greek empire, what it was, merged with the Roman people, which of course would be Italy? What indications do we have that that's kind of how things did go, that the Romans took from the Greeks and then just kept building up? And then, of course, a lot of the things with the United States are drawing heavily from the Roman ideas.
2: Yes, they are. Let's be honest, the only things that you can verify are the things you can see yourself, right? So if you were to go to southern Italy, the main distinction I could see is a Greek structure, like a Greek temple, was made completely out of marble blocks. So if you go to Pestum and you could see um, the Doric temples that are down in Pestum, that are, they're, they're, they're from greater Greece, and they are made out of solid blocks of granite and marble. The columns are solid pieces, the lintels, and everything is solid. And then you go to Rome and you see what the Romans did. They, they copied it, but it was no longer made out of solid stone. It was made out of bricks that were then faced in stone. The same way you could see the gods aspects of nature that in Greek were brought, the names were changed. That's all they were. And you could see because certain parts of southern Italy who are still tied to uh, pagan ways, especially in and outside of Naples, and still have this contact with the old ways, some of the gods are still referred to in, 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 in ancient Greek. So you can just see these things where it moved from one to the other, but everything else has just been told to us. And what do we know? We know that history is a lie agreed upon. So well, you just need to see the things that you can verify with your own eyes.
0: Let's make a distinction here. So often when we do like the myth episodes where we're using the term Greek, and I always try to qualify it, um, as far as we know, uh, the country of Greece was not a country until sometime in the 1800s. I think it might even be late in the never 1800s. never been a country.
2: It was it was right. affiliation of two different, there was the Athenian and the Spartans. They were two different ways, they were both Greek, Hellenic, but there were two different ways, and we, we had them come out, and, and even today, when something is Spartan, it is, how can we say, as a good way to describe something, in Spartan English, it has less luxury, it's um, stripped down, it's bare bones, and that's how the Spartans were supposed to live, where the Athenians were more into, you know, the luxury, and more into materialistic things, but they still had a Hellenic, Hellenic culture, and they just propagated their city-states all throughout the southern Mediterranean, and they were never. There was never a central government that, that ruled all of them. Maybe your Olympic episode touched on that. That was the only time they ever came together, right? Other than that, it was they were affiliated either with Athens or Sparta, and there was no, there was no, never had been a country called Greece until the 1800s. Like there had never been a country called Italy until 1861, and that's a whole other can of worms to open.
0: Well I think you you kind of hit on it there because you referred to them as Hellenistic um, which I have tried to use. Uh, when you read some of the older texts, you hear of them as Aegeans, is one way. Yeah. You hear them referred to as Hellenistic or Hellens. But what's odd about that is, of course, if we go back to the story of Odysseus and the Odyssey and the supposed War of Troy, um, which is what we cover in the aeneid I mean, how many people understand that the aeneid is held up as the greatest Western literature and it informs us all that Rome was founded by the people who got their butts kicked at Troy. So basically Trojans. Are going on to found Rome. Um, but my point here is even in that tale, the whole war starts over a lady named Helen. And we're probably talking about a Hellenistic people or Aegean. You even see the word Argyle for some reason mixed up in yes. all this.
1: But anyhow, Jason, uh, don't let me bogart that joint, my friend. Well, what I'm really trying to figure out is just what indications do we have of the conventional history? And more importantly, what do we have that can actually back up the Flamenco work? Because that's. Really important, of course, we strongly suspect just how much things may have been truncated, how things may not have taken place in the length of time that we're told conventionally.
0: Well, I know exactly what you're trying to say. Basically, we've had uh, the, the timeline we have, truncated is the right word, but it's been duplicated. According to Flamenco, there were cases where there were royal families who tried to authenticate Uh, Their reason for being, so what they did is they made up the same story over and over backwards to point back to some supposed great-grandfather who never existed, who was royal. Um, So that's part of what Flamenco did, and by the way, that is a very—I mean, there is so much when you start reading Flamenco, but basically what it comes down to— is when he says a truncated timeline, maybe what we're referring to is that if we look back a 1,000 years, that's only 200 years away from us, these kinds of ideas. In other words, what we think is a 1,000 years old might only be 200 years old, these kinds of ideas. I would have to agree with that.
1: What I'm wondering, though, since the Jesuits came into power around the 1600s, is that when the snipping of the timelines started going on, cutting and pasting or whatever it is that they did? And what evidence would we have to support that that's when that happened? And of course, the Jesuits are coming out of Rome.
2: Well, all roads do lead to Rome. We've discussed this. Uh, someone even found the 9 11 encoding of it Rome, and, and if you write it backwards, is amor, is love. My personal experience is I did live in Rome for a few years. I tried to run a business there, and I found it to be the most horrific. Just black place i'd ever been to and i left there and i was happier that i did what lines can we draw it really is it, it's all suspect and i wouldn't even know where to begin besides seeing the things that we can see with our own eyes even something that crow mentioned a wild act like they show with these egyptian tombs and they're saying it's four thousand years old and the colors are perfect we were painted yesterday i own houses you have to paint them every two years otherwise it just it just how it is everything breaks down here so you need to really look at everything understanding that it's all suspect and i think jason has a very valid point point. and who are the masters of education and indoctrination are the jesuits who eliminated all of indigenous culture all throughout the world were the jesuits where are the doors of the roman senate these days they are on saint john's in lateran which is the basilica of rome St. Peter's, I cannot stress this enough, is not the Basilica of Rome. St. John's and Lateran is, and the Roman Senate doors are right there. There's the line. There's the line. If you go to court in front of the magistrato, in front of the magistrate in Italy, he is not wearing a robe, he is wearing a toga. There's your other line to draw.
0: So I I think I can maybe speak a little bit to what Jason's doing. I've been working on this idea for a few years, trying to figure out um, one of the lines in the sand. But when you're aware of people like Fomenko and the work we've done about whether or not the the historic timelines are accurate, which I don't accept that they are, you zero in on the acceptable, the mainstream date of 1620 um, in that neighborhood. And here's why. It appears to me, and it will take more work to be able to present this out in a meaningful way at some point, that when time first started to get screwed with, the actual thing we call time, uh, it was around Easter. And the reason is, is because the Pope apparently, from the timeline we're handed, wanted to set Easter for the entire empire one day. Well, this is an impossibility. And the example I always use is a guy in New York does not see sunrise at the same time as a guy in Hawaii. And yet, under this Pope scheme for Easter, they would be being told that, in fact, you guys are seeing sunrise at the same time because Easter will be on this day regardless of where you are in the world. So that's where we start to see things get skewed. But in the same time, we are told that these crazy people came forth with the heliocentric model. And the Pope was so incensed because it went against scripture that he said, you know what? If you say that, you're going to get killed. And then he said, well, we're not going to kill you, but we're going to put you in jail. And then he said, well, we're not going to put you in jail, but you can't leave your house. And by the way, you can publish that book. And then in less than 100 years, the Jesuit order are teaching these very things. So however far back this actual period of time is that we call 1620, I think that's maybe the dividing line that we're searching for. It's where we get heliocentrism finally taught by the church, and it's also where we see the artificiality of time, where you don't look up anymore and say, oh, the sun's rising, it's sunrise. You get these, you know, the Easter annals and these tables that artificially uh, try to force things to happen according to
1: the will of the Pope. Well, of course, we have the whole dark ages, quote unquote, where there's claiming several hundred years up to a thousand years. Nobody really did anything. Nobody knew anything. They were all dum-dums. They forgot everything. Nothing happened. And then all of a sudden when the Jesuits start coming around, oh, no, no, things are okay now. Things are cool. People can use their brains again.
0: Well, here, here's, here's one for you guys. What Jason just brought up is the one that always gets me. So supposedly, the Romans are engaged in making duplicates of all the statues the older Greeks came up with because the idea is... Lesser in- quality duplicates. So let me, let me add that. Right, they, they were, right. Whereas, okay, just so, lesser quality. So here's the point, though. And it's the same thing with Egypt. We're seeing these... I have taken, suppose, Egyptian statues. They look like they're cut by a CNC, a 3D CNC machine. If you put them in Photoshop... <laughs> and you take the face and fold it over on itself, it's perfect. And yet, they can only show us profiles in the artwork. Well, I noticed a similar thing. My wife and I recently went to the Pequot Museum, which is a band that has one of the biggest casinos uh, in the world now called Foxwoods. But we're in there looking at the Pequot Museum, and I'm interested in their origin story. I'm always interested to hear indigenous people's origin stories. And so while we're in there, we're looking at all these uh, arrowheads and these tools. And it's like it blows your damn mind that someone took stones, apparently, and made these highly designed, architected, perfect little things out of stone. And then you walk in to see their homes and you're told we piled some some wood here. You know, it looks like a beaver made it, but they can architect (laughs) those arrow tips. And it's the same thing with Egypt. So here you have these statues that look like they were cut. By a computer on a three D CNC machine, but the only painting you can get is profiles on a wall. I mean, it it just doesn't work out logically. None of it works out.
2: I think that your analogy is perfect. It, none of it really works out. If you, if you if you if you throw away all you've been indoctrinated into knowing, and as you say, belief is the enemy of knowing. If you if you let that be and just look at it, like you said, wow, well, they can make a a perfect sculpture, but then I get a flat, like one-dimensional profile on a wall with paint that's still vibrant after 4,000 years. Doesn't yeah. solve, it just doesn't add up. <laughs> the,
0: the best paint store in existence existed back then, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> apparently, there's not allowed to have quality anymore. <laughs> and, and not only that, you have to imagine that's all supposed to be things like ochre or you know lapis lazuli or things you could get out of nature, which incidentally, if we come up to the Renaissance, that's supposedly what they were making those paints out of. And you can already see the degradation of the paint used in, uh, in the Renaissance, which is supposedly thousands of years closer to us. I wish, I wish we knew the answers.
1: Right. They have to do restorations on those paintings. Right. And they fade. Which is something a lot of people don't even know. Those paintings are constantly getting retouched. Right. right. And so this the, is the uh, point. The
2: Last Supper in Milan is an airlock. I don't know if you know this. You get 20 minutes. And you basically, the whole thing is temperature and pressure control. Then you go into an airlock before you go in there. Then you, they open the doors up. You go in, you've got 15 minutes to look at it before they usher you out the
0: back. If I'm not mistaken, the paint there's a little different. And I could have this wrong, but I think I read not too long ago. Isn't that some kind of like a, like not gouache, but some kind of an egg-based thing that he did on yes, a fresco? They
2: did, but they didn't paint it fresco. Fresco just means fresh. Like the reason it's called a fresco is because they would actually paint on the wet plaster and that right. would peel it in better. This he was experimenting, and he painted it on dry plaster. And here's the uh, here's the uh, and it was so important. This painting was so important that they cut a doorway through it to go into the into the mess hall. <laughs> you look at it. In the middle of it, there's a big doorway they cut in a couple hundred year. Or they would say a couple hundred years ago, and you could see it's not part of the original of uh, the original painting, the original fresco. And then you ask, oh, well, where that? Where did that door lead? Oh, it led to the refractory, which is a fancy word to say you know canteen or cafeteria.
0: Okay. Was that well, important? You put a door through it. <laughs> yeah. Cafeteria is this way, huh? Um, if if exactly. you, know, right, right through the painting. That's one of the things that I like to do is take something that I know truly exists in the world and then do a comparison. So if we look, you know, I, I was studying supposedly how they made the pigments for painting in the supposed Renaissance, however long ago that supposedly was. And you're told, you know, they want a blue, they took lapis lazuli, which is like a mineral, like a rock, um, ochre, Mm -hmm. things out of nature. And yet, as Jason pointed out, they're already fading and having to restore those. And from the timeline we're handed, those are thousands of years closer than those those, uh, supposed tombs in Egypt. So I'm just saying, logically, these things just will not hold water, will they? No, they won't. There's a hole in my cup. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. None of it does. And therein lies our
2: situation, and which is why I'm on this show with you, which is why I listen to you every week and try to further discussion on the forums, because our true history has been denied us. And that is the root of all of this. You know, the fact that our history, uh, I, I believe that they're hiding the existence of God, the creator, the architect, whatever it may be. This way we live our lives in, in an erroneous way and we never achieve fulfillment and enlightenment. And sometimes I kick myself in the rear saying, man, you should just stuck it out an extra year with those people because maybe you would have learned more of these secrets about this place. Because it's in my brain every day in the back. I'm like, what is this? What are we doing here? Why why has it been denied us? So I, I come from it at a point of saying, okay, if everything is suspect, I'm only going to believe what I can see and what what I have firsthand history from and go forward from there. That's how I look at it.
0: Well, th- think of the last story from the last episode we did. Um, maybe you were better off leaving. Seems to be a price to pay for knowledge on that level. Consider the tale that you expressed last time with, I believe it was a Jesuit priest who wanted to sleep with your wife and wanted to trade information for the privilege so I, I would oh, he, say he did he let he let out some
2: nuggets crow he let out some nuggets saying that it's the false scarcity model right is how they really control everything and then by using um by using I mean he was speaking to us in Italian but I think the best way is like by using a, gl- a a ball a globe a sphere there's nothing left to explore so it's all here false scarcity there's nothing left. This is, this, is, this is the trail of breadcrumbs he was leading us on to. And then he wanted, you know, then there was the indecent proposal and it, and it was just, no, this is not going to happen. <laughs> this is not who we are, how we live. I don't care what you know, but it's not worth my family for me to know it. And even with the other way around with these people that we discussed last time, I, it's, it, we'll figure it out. I know we will. I know we'll figure it out. We're smart enough. There's enough people behind us that we'll figure it out. I go about my daily routine. If they're telling me it's light, it's dark. If they're telling me it's up, it's down. If they're telling me it's round, it's flat. Just go with the opposite. That's the easiest
0: way to come through the night. Just go with the opposite. <laughs> well, what's what's ironic about that tale, um, the indecent proposal that was, you know, not only was it a man of the cloth, supposedly, yeah. but it's just ironic for Western ears to, to, to think that the currency offered was information. It goes to show you how people at that level think. It wasn't gold or silver or gems or jewels. It was like, hey, man, I know these things. I'll trade you some things you don't know so I can... Yeah, uh, your wife's hot. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so carnally and lower-minded. Just, It's just terrible. Terrible.
2: And this is what it is. These are the so-called leaders, spiritual leaders, and people, uh, the people are moving away from it, but they, they've had a grasp on it for a very, very long time. And, you know, we spoke about this, and it's for me, and I, I believe now that it is the blood type, and their alchemical spells have never worked on me. I've always known something was wrong. The way we live was wrong. There's some, I just couldn't put my finger on it. And because there is so much controlled opposition and disinformation and as Jason so eloquently puts it, the turd in the punch bowl. I love that (laughs) analogy. And it's so hard to cut through all of that, but I think we're getting close. I really do. And I think, I think that what you expound on every week is getting closer and closer to the bullseye. Hence, the censorship. If not, let it be. Let it go out there. They pump you out. Look at what he's saying.
0: This is my big interest in the indigenous creation stories, uh, and one of the reasons I went to go see the Pequot Museum. Um, there are actually in Rhode Island. There's Narragansett Indians who um, I'm actually sending emails to, seeing if I can get permission to speak with an elder and hear their stories. Because, as far as I can tell, every culture, every religion I've ever looked at, a human being can get on a ladder. And become something higher and these things are often described as enlightenment as nirvana as heaven every every important long-lived culture and even all the indigenous cultures all have some version of this and so when you you know when we get into hour two and we start talking about the own negative blood type it seems to me like like take tibet tibet is a good example so we're told in the 50s china rolled over tibet right Now, whatever you want to think about any of these cultures, that had been around a long time, and I've done enough research to understand that the the totality of that society— was about spiritual concerns. And not only spiritual concerns, all these supposed traditions that had names and lineages where you could name the actual teacher back to its source. That was a big part of this. And they had things like the idea that lofty Tibetan lamas could eject their consciousness in preparation for enlightenment. And part of that, and I've read like accounts that are not published, by the way, of this, where supposedly they're claiming there were guys that could eject their consciousness from one body to another. And later, it was funny, three, four, five years ago, I forget the name of the tradition that I'm referring to, the Dalai Lama actually said in public, and he named it, didn't tell people what it was, but he did name the tradition I'm referring to and said, this is now on the endangered species list, basically, <laughs> um, that the last practitioners of this are going away and that it's not being taught to the next generation. So when you begin to consider these super old bloodlines, um, is this why we see the destruction of so many indigenous populations? Because they have this crucially key knowledge and in uh, all these different versions of how a human being can become more. Um, I'm just asking the question. Is that why we see indigenous populations constantly marginalized so that people like you and I won't be aware of these traditions? It has to be. It has to be. It has to be a total occulting of things that actually work.
2: I can give you a story to maybe piggyback on last week's episode. How Wayne was speaking about how he had a great aunt who was 104. I have a living window to a woman who was born in 1845. She was this is my great great grandmother, great 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 grandmother on my mother's side. She was so old, died in 1950. Or 1960, she didn't know how old she was. Okay, and my one aunt, who's 80, used to spend a lot of time with her, and she keeps telling me this one story. I I was in, I was in her house, and I fell down, and I really bruised up my 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 elbow. It got swollen, and she said, "Si, She went out and she gathered these herbs. And this was a woman who lived to be over 100. I want to say over 110 years old, who had knowledge because she was born in 1845 went out, grabbed these herbs out of the woods, came back, took a, an egg and beat up an egg white, and put the herbs in the egg white, put it on my aunt's elbow. And then within an hour, it had shrunk down. These are the things they don't want us to know. They don't want us to know, because as you said before, it, it, it's, it's, it's demonstrable that people did not die at 35 and they weren't four foot seven a hundred years ago. Right. Because look at the daguerreotypes. I can look at my great grandmother which is on my father's side the the negative side and my three male cousins and we're all from the same great grandmother different mothers different fathers and we look like brothers the woman lived to be 105 she was six foot four inches tall gave birth to nine children all of them survived and they were all born at home okay the woman i was speaking about earlier who made the concoction with the egg and the and the herbs from, from 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 the forest now, women were not empowered, right? Women have always been under men's thumbs, or so they tell us. This woman used to hang out with Sardinian pirates with a musket in between her breasts. She knew all of the hiding places. She ruled the roost. Her sister was impregnated out of wedlock by the mayor of the next town over, okay? She challenged him to a duel, okay? This is a woman, okay? Okay. And killed him in the duel. This was maybe 1870, 1875, and we have all the historical accounts of it. And I said to my aunt last week, I said, "How old was Ziegenkunstadt when she died?" You know, my you know my aunt said to me, she didn't even know how old she was. Okay, it's if you just go back two generations and ask your grandparents. But there's a reason why in this country. There's the Alzheimer's, the dementia, the Parkinson's, the nursing home. It's so they, at 70 years old, are basically mentally feeble, move them in the nursing home, can't impart any of the old ways and knowledge of what they knew because they can look back another 70 years, 80 years, right, from their 70, their 80. And it's just the last grasp within the last 20, 25 years to eliminate any way that the people of today can, in, in our society, can get back to those roots. So that
0: is the crux of the situation. Breaking culture, basically. But, but I would point out another Very thing, good. which it reminds me of your egg story. Recently, I was looking at one of the really old mosques, and I noticed there's ostrich, decorated ostrich eggs hanging up in the rafters. And so I started looking into it. Why, why are those ostrich? What, what does that represent? You know supposedly why those eggs are hanging up in the moss? They keep spiders away so that someone doesn't have to get on a ladder and try to clean spider webs. And I haven't had time to look up to see if there's anything real. but but think about what we're talking. This is exactly what we're talking about. Is there actually a tradition where if you have a certain kind of uh, hollowed-out bird egg, you can keep spiders away? Because right now, most people listening think they need a can
1: of raid. There's social engineering that goes along with the elderly. Uh, as as well as everything else they're hitting us with, that once you get to a certain age, you retire. And you don't have to do anything anymore. And you don't need to be thinking about things. You don't need to be worrying about anything. You can just go play badminton. (laughs) and sit around playing right. checkers with well, other old people. Younger, shuffleboard. The younger to generation,
0: Florida. too, because consider this. In, in places like some parts of Japan, your elders are still revered, and you owe them a level of respect. The opposite is going on with our younger generation. The respect given to older people is diminished. I think everyone can, can see that. But you see, that, that's the whole reason I've come to Rhode Island so many times. It's because my family is not getting warehoused in a damn Old folks home somewhere. As a matter of fact, You're my first atypical. yeah, get this. I'm I'm kind of weird because I dropped out of high school in ninth grade. My first job was in an old people's home, and so for my first job, all of a sudden, I'm exposed to what those places actually are—the drugging of people till they die. All of a sudden, you know, at that young age, you know, knowing people that are actually dying right in front of you, and I realized right there and then. But what Giancarlo said is critically important. In a typical normal cultural society, as the older generation gets older, they gain wisdom. And that wisdom can be shared back to the younger generation. And here we're kind of seeing that break. I mean, look at all the the YouTube clip shows where it shows young people being rude to old people or making fun of them. It's just the wholesale degradation of any kind Sorry of a culture. That. Yeah, that could pass on these these more lofty ideals. You were in the midst of all this. Did you get the sense, and I, I don't even know how you'd know this, Giancarlo, but did you get the sense that it's critically important for people in powerful positions to have an RH negative blood factor? I believe that
2: that, that is a, it's a must. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere so, because they, they control it. They have control, but all of it, it from my from what I have seen and was folded out. And for me, it's, it's all controlled, all of it. So unless you're part of that club or, or share something in common with them, which is the only thing is the R at this point is an RH negative factor. Some noble lineage are not letting you into it. They're not, they simply aren't, they're all related. Just do a, a Jenny shirt search for these people and everybody comes back to be related to everybody else. So yes, yes.
1: What about Vatican City and all the people there? Do we see any evidence that they're all the same bloodline as well? people chosen to be bishops and cardinals and eventually Pope?
2: I'm sure it is. I mean you can count the ways, look at the Lateran pact, look at the obelisk from Heliopolis in the square, look at the, look at the doors of the Senate that have been moved to St John look at it all and I, I don't I don't know, but the smart money, as they would say here is on yes.
0: So basically, if I was going to sum it up in a nutshell, it appears that if you are RH negative, and so for people listening who don't remember the blood show we did, that would be the rhesus factor, RH, rhesus factor, and negative to some people means, and we never did get clear definitions to my satisfaction, to some people who are in power, this means there is no relationship with that blood and the supposed monkey, the rhesus macaque. RH positive would. But so, Giancarlo, it almost seems like the RH negative blood factor implies a very old lineage, like you're one of the older families. But this is the problem. We never could just, how, how in the heck do we end up with different RH factors? And then Jason and I did the research. We started finding basically a lot of dishonest work and a lot right. of people not telling the truth. And we never did arrive. But, I mean, do you think it matters if you're... A, B negative? I think that
2: negative in general, but the rarer the blood type, the the closer you are to being uncontaminated, I don't know what it is. Which,
0: which would be O negative, have, right? That would We're referring to O negative? O negative. There's um A,
2: B negative, which is what well, we're not going to say, but I don't know a lot about it. I know there's something to it. Maybe we have to have Dr. Lena back on, have him do some research into this. He seems to be very honest and see what Holy his shit. take is on it. But it is it's a really good idea. If we I'm sure if you give him a heads up, he'll be able to prepare something because he's on top of all of these of, of, of these subjects I've noticed. So I think it's just I think it's just negative because the negative is very rare and there's some kind of unadulterated lineage with the negative people going back somewhere to sometime to something. What it is is why we're speaking about it and trying to piece it together.
0: Well, it's so frustrating because we're reasonably sure that there is truly a thing called RH positive and Rh negative. Uh, we know that some of the rare blood types, I think it's O, don't quote me, I'm doing this from memory, um, can donate universally. We understand o that if O positive
2: is a universal donor.
0: Yeah, O positive is a universal donor. Um, and I and believe we,
2: the O negative is o, o negative
0: is a universal receiver that can take any blood type.
2: There's something, there's something I don't there's something to that. But I'm don't get- quote me. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, but all I know is that, from my understanding, all of these people in power that I have met have something in common, and they know each other. They can understand. You know, they'll make you do the blood test, but they 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 get an inkling of it. They can they can feel it. Like you say, we we've had. Telephones and cell phones and these 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 ways of communicating with each other. If we didn't have these, maybe we'd be able to communicate in a different way. We've just never developed it because we've been given a crutch. But these well, people you, understand these things and 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 do what they have to do regardless of that.
0: You've got to imagine that the vampire tale somehow wrapped up in this. But my my main point I was going to make here is it almost feels to me like the implication here is that Rh positive was somehow imposed in some weird way and you know i don't really i can't add much if you go do the research and you start getting like there's a whole bunch of research that claims the original africans are all rh negative now when you read the european research they'll tell you that's not true when you read other search research they'll tell you that it is true
2: That's if you're accepting the
0: controlled narrative saying that we all
2: came from Africa and we moved out of Africa. And over all this time, the Asians became Asians, the whites became whites, the Africans stayed dark, yada, yada, yada. Nonsense. We were all created in a different way. So I don't accept that. I accept that we were created. The different races were all architected, archetyped by whomever created this place. And the out-of-Africa theory is just a bunch of other, like, dinosaur nonsense to just lead us down an erroneous path and kind of make evolution, oh, it seems plausible, okay. You know that that's how I feel. That's 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 how I have come to understand this.
0: You know? it, it just seems like in the age of information that a topic like that should be very well documented, and you shouldn't find all this kind of racism and um, non-racism and just all these half-truths <laughs> mixed in with it. But at the end of the day, no matter which of the sides that are not agreeing with each other, they all agree that the original humans supposedly were Rh negative. Supposedly.
1: We're uh, almost at the top here, but I would like to ask, since we were discussing language earlier, how much Latin do you see in Italy these days? Because I've been told that the uh, ATMs have Latin available in Vatican City. Is it anywhere else that you know of?
2: Anywhere else that I know of? No. All of the vocabulary, well, most of it comes through into into Italian, but the actual teaching of Latin is is relegated to classical high school, vatican city and and that's it you, you could see it if you walk through the towns that have supposed ancient roman you know structures they will have the the, the latin inscribed on them but other than that it, it's not used in in day-to-day life italian is close it's a little it's poorer than latin it sounds different than latin but no they're they're keeping latin all of themselves you know they're they're keeping it to themselves, telling you not to learn that it's dead and and be about be about your way. but there's power to it. There's everything is sound, right right? It's all electromagnetism and vibration. And that must be a very, very important vibration they don't want you to have. They want you to have this English language, which is becoming the de facto world language, which uh, if we can touch on language, I wanted to touch on that. it it's just I don't understand how people, can't see this and can't understand that the language they have been given lacks a second person plural so if i want to make a distinction in english between speaking with jason just jason or jason and crow i cannot grammatically do that what i have to do and you see the people who do this are people who have had the second person plural recently in their languages and they've created a you guys a use a yins, a y'all that is just a poor excuse for a means of communication if i can't specify that i'm speaking to one person or more than one person to me that is the deciding factor in showing you that this english language is a bunch of
0: nonsense well, there's there's accounts too, Giancarlo, that I would point out. Uh, supposedly, from the research that I've done, one of the most complex languages that's ever existed is Sanskrit, and what I've read, it's almost hard to fathom. Uh, at this point, it's 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 delivered in almost a poetic manner. I guess um, I guess some of the Middle Eastern language claim a similar thing, but but what they're saying is is that there's four, five, six, seven levels of meaning possible. Um, at the same time, it's being delivered as almost poetry, but that the words themselves were meant to resonate. Like if I said table, the word for table would resonate with the physical object of a table. And so if these things are true, then we could almost surmise that even getting to Latin, which is way ahead of where we are now in English, even that's been a bit of a tumble. But, you know, you, you, you silly boys, don't you know that Latin's a dead language unless you use that science is. or speak any Calm other language down. in the world? Down <laughs> is off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's what it is, and you, you can see a lot of. If you go look at
2: Sanskrit, some of the most important fundamental words in in a lot of languages dispersed all throughout this existence come from Sanskrit. Like the word for father, like in Italian, you would say "babbo," and baba, then in, yeah. in in Indian, it's "baba." If you go to Africa, they say "babu." It, there's 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 a certain link
0: to everything has has to do with Sanskrit. That was not lost on Pete Townsend when he wrote Baba O'Reilly but Baba anyhow, sorry. O'Reilly
2: exactly. sorry for interrupting exactly. of course yeah.
0: no no and, it, and you could see it in, in, on all the languages and I, and I believe that you know Latin
2: is the closest thing that we have to this resonance to these these words have meanings and, and words have vibrations and power to them. And as I said, up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. just just go that's how I go about it because it's
0: it's all nonsense. So guys, we're coming to the end of the first hour of episode 180, and I'll point out also, uh, Giancarlo and I were talking earlier, he was pointing out that a thing like a table uh, in the old world languages would have a masculine implication unless the table was set for eating and then it would take on feminine. Think of the specificity, and that, that sets aside all the gender distinguishing that the language can handle. But that does bring the first hour of episode 180 to a close. When we come back, we're going to jump in with some firsthand accounts that start to verify some of the things I've said about some of the negative, more rare negative blood types. And I'll close by reminding everyone, in the research that I did, apparently most blood cells have a bit of a sac around the cell where certain negatives do not think about that implies about being able to understand what other people are thinking or any number of things. Anyhow, when we come back, we're going to jump straight into that in real world experiences that we have to allegorize. So no one can do a breadcrumb back to Giancarlo. Anyhow, we hope you'll join us all on October 20, Shoot the Moon NYC with Mr. Devlin, Mr. Brisson, Mr. Wayne McCroy. Jason and I will be doing a Q&A after a showing of Shoot the Moon. Uh, it'll be my first appearance in public, and we hope you'll join us all next week. We're going to be locked and loaded for a few episodes in a row, but join us all in the free speech zone where we're going to start to cover some very interesting firsthand accounts of what it might mean to have rare negative blood types. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>